In the following live session recording, Brian Alexander, state missionary with Church Minister Relations and the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, will talk about dynamic deacons. This session will help deacons see the spiritual importance of their role and raise the level of expectation in the deacon's ministry. The listener will learn innovative ways to encourage deacons through connecting with the congregation and church leadership. Let's join Brian now. So dynamic deacons. That, you know, if, if a deacon is going to be, if he's going to be a dynamic deacon, he's going to have to, there's going to have to be some requirements about them. They're going to need to, they're going to need to be diligent in their duties. And we're talking about, you know, just talking about something as simple as attendance requirement in church. Did you know that people watch deacons? Did you know they watch them? Did you know that there's people in your church that they count every deacon that shows up on Sunday? They count them. And if you go see them, preacher, did you know there weren't but four deacons in the building Sunday? They'll tell you that. They're keeping up. You know what? And, and it's got to the point where you have leadership who, who don't take, they don't take that serious anymore. And you know what? If they don't take it serious, those downline are not going to take it serious either. You know, and don't you want the, the young folks coming along? Don't you want them to aspire to be servants, to be deacons, to say, hey, I, I want to serve the Lord? You know, Sunday school, you know, I, I think about through the years, I, I required, and I did it in a loving way, but I required our deacons to go to Sunday school. You either need to be teaching or you need to be attending. One of the two. And there was some, well, I just don't go to Sunday school. I said, okay, oh, man, you don't go to Sunday school? I said, deacon election coming now. <laughs> you know, what are these days? And I said, because, you know, one of the things why people are elected, men are elected deacons, and, and they, they're, they're elected because there's a job to do. There's people in need. That's what happened when, when the, the first deacons were brought in. They were, there was a need. The Grecian women were not being. They were not being treated fairly. They were. They were being prejudiced against. And so, they they got these guys. They laid hands on them. They full of the Holy Ghost, and they sent them forth to do the work. You know, and they need to be diligent about it. And that's a, And that's one of the things that makes makes people excited about the deacon ministry is when they see, hey, they're they're serious about it. Man, I wanted my deacons. I wanted those guys. I wanted them to be the first ones there. I wanted them to be the ministering, the loving, the caring, to taking care of the folks. That's what deacon ministry is about. It, it's about, about servant ministry. Sunday evening, well, I, I don't drive at night. I know, I know. And there's an excuse for everything. And I know that you have to, you have to, you have to take things into consideration because, you know, people are special and, and, and we can't have church without people, but... You know what? If a person's going to be a leader in the church, they ought to, they ought to be some guidelines that they follow. And you know what? Uh, if you're a deacon and you're, you're serving in your church, man, you, you need to be serious about that. And, and, that, and, and the pastor and the leadership, they, they need to know that I'm going to be diligent in this area and I'm going to take care. I'm going to take care of my responsibility. Because one of the things that's happening these days is young people are not seeing the older generation being accountable. They're not seeing them being diligent. 
They see them being half-hearted. They come in, they do, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. They're never sure if they're going to be there. I like one of them said, one thing about it, you know old brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they're going to be there every time the door goes. You know what? There's something about that, something, that consistency. And that's one of the things that in your, your deacons meetings that you would talk about. You talk about being consistent. It would be something that when you... Uh, you're not just talking about buildings and budgets and all of that kind of stuff. Man, that, that that's that's not servant ministry at all. And, uh, you know, I have, I hate to say it, but through the years, I've made a few people a little angry. It's probably too nice a word. <laughs> but I've I, I made some angry. I went to one one day, and, and uh, there were 17 deacons in there, and I, I shared with them about servant ministry, and that it really it was about it was about serving the Lord and serving the serving God's people. And when it was over, man, the the guy asked me, he said, "Man, can you stay after everybody leaves?" And I said, "Sure." He sat down. And he said, "Brother Brian," he said, "How do you think it went tonight?" I said, "Well, to be honest with you, I thought it went pretty horrible." And he said, "Well, that's a pretty strong word." He said, "Why was it so horrible?" I said, "Because it went right over everybody's head." There were 17 deacons sitting out here and there wasn't one single one of them that cared one thing about doing servant ministry. All they cared about was calling the shots and making the decisions for the church. That's, that's the way they'd always done business and that's what that was their mode of operation. And I said, so they, did, they didn't, you know, this is a country term, they didn't really cotton up to what I said. And so he said, well, he said, well, what you did, he said, if you're talking about servant ministry like that, you're saying that the way we do the way we do deacon ministry is wrong. I said, I didn't say you was wrong. I didn't even know how y'all do deacon ministry. I didn't say you was wrong. He said, well, you talked about servant ministry was the, the biblical way. I said, I didn't say you was wrong. I just didn't say, I said it wasn't biblical. You know, it's just not biblical the way you do it. And he said, well, let me ask you one thing. Then he got mad. Boy, his little lips, he wrinkled up. He said, let me ask you one thing, brother. He said, if the church is going to get painted, who's going to do it if the deacons don't? If the roof's going to get on the church, who's going to do it if the deacons don't? If decisions going to be made, who's going to do it if the deacons don't? I said, do y'all have a building grounds committee? He said, we sure do. What's that got to do with it? I said, well, first thing you need to do, you need to fire the chairman of the building grounds committee. He said, for what? I said, because he's not trustworthy. If y'all can't let him and the committee do their job, I said, they don't need to be a committee. You need to throw them out. You need to fire him. He said, well, we couldn't fire him. I said, uh-oh, he's a deacon, isn't he? <laughs> and I said, not only do you need to fire him as a, as a deacon, I mean, as a building ground, I said, you need, to, you need to revoke his ordination papers as a deacon because he's not trustworthy. Now, he's, he, I mean, he's hot. He's hot as a firecracker then. But you know what? It, it didn't affect me any. The truth is the truth now. I don't care who says it. The truth is the truth. And so, I said, brother, I said, your church is in major conflict. We've been in your church doing conflict mediation for the last two months. It's in major conflict, and I'll tell you why. It's because nobody wants to serve, and everybody wants to be boss. I said, everybody can't be bosses. And so, we picked up my gear. He walked me out to my truck. We talked all the way. He hugged my neck, thanked me for coming. And I said, hey, praise the Lord. You know, maybe God will use this somehow. I knew that was his way. I knew they, nobody heard anything I said. Well, three weeks later, I get a call from the pastor, and he said, Brother Brown, I want to talk to you. I said, uh-oh. 
Because we've been dealing with conflict down there. I figured this thing's blown apart now. He said, let me tell you. He said, how do you think that deacon's meeting went? Uh, deacon's retreat you did for us. How do you think it went? I said, well, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was pretty horrible. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, why? I said, because they weren't interested in servant ministry. And I said, and honest, be honest with you, Pastor, one of the ones that disappointed me most was you. And he said, why? I said, because the way you sat there in that meeting, it told me one of two things, that you did not care what those deacons thought. You wasn't going to work with them anymore. You was tired of fooling with them. You was going to do, you was going to do your ministry like you wanted to, and you are going to plow right around them no matter what they wanted. Or you already had your resume out and you was looking for another place to go. One of those two things. On the phone he said, you're right. He said, it was number one. I came to that meeting. I don't care what the deacons do. He said, they've resisted everything I've done since I've been there. And he said, uh, I'm just going gonna to do ministry without them. He said, but let me tell you what happened in our first deacons meeting last week. He said, one of the guys came in and said, uh, Preacher, uh, I've been thinking about that deacon retreat that we had, and uh, I've made up my mind I'm going to be a deacon. I'm the chairman of deacon for this year. We're not going to do deacon ministry like we did. What we've been doing has not worked. So what we're going to do from here on out, for one year, we're going to we're going to be servant ministers. And he he took a lot of the things that I said in the day. He listed them out. This is what we're going to do each month. This is what our deacons meetings are going to look like. We're no longer going to be talking about all of that business. We're going to be talking about how we're going to serve the church and serve these people, serve this community how we're going to make a difference. Because I asked them this question. I said, what would happen to this community if your church was snatched out overnight? They looked at one another and said, I don't even think they'd miss them. I don't even think they'd even miss them. They wouldn't even know we was gone. He said, Brother Brown, what do you think we need to do with that? I told him, I said, go get a screw gun. Screw the doors and windows shut. Get a for sale sign out. Put it out there in front of the church. Send it to somebody who will do something for God. If the community don't miss, won't miss you, you're not making an impact. You're not doing a thing for God. Selling somebody who will. That didn't go over well either, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, he said, uh, he told them what, was, what they was going to do. And he asked them, he looked over there at the old patriarch, the old big boss. He's sitting over there like a great big old toad sitting on a mushroom. That's the way he was sitting. He said, he asked him, he said, brother, how do you feel about this? He knew he was going to say, he said, well, that stuff might work in Atlanta, but it won't work over here. And the, the deacon chairman said, well, either we're going to give it a try. Tonight we're going to vote to do this like I, like I propose, or if we decide not to and just do business like we've always done, he said, I want you to know I'm going to resign tonight as chairman of deacons. I'm also going to leave the church, and I'll, I'm never going to come back and leave me nor my family. We're going to get in a church where we can serve God. Well, they all looked around. Finally, the big guy sitting over there, the big boss said, Well, I guess we what we've been doing hadn't worked. I guess we can give it a try for one year. And so they agreed that that's what they are going to do. preacher called me. He said, Brother Brian, in the last three weeks, we've had 23 visitors come to our church. He said, we hadn't had 23 visitors in the last five years. That's how dead our church has been. He said, not only have we had 23 visitors, 
We've had six made professions of faith. He said, we've had, we've had two families join, and he said, we've got four families that's coming right now that looks like are going to join. He said, man, revival has broke up. He said, the, the issues of, of conflict are, are dying, and he said, man, people who wouldn't speak to one another a month ago are now starting to speak together. And he said, man, we've started meeting at the coffee club, uh, the men, some of the men on Sunday morning, uh, during the week, and then we go to the grocery stores and went out and visited. Everywhere they're going, they're inviting people to church now. They've got <coughs> something to look forward to. And you know what? God has turned that thing around. You know, it's going to take some, some, some diligence. You know, and it's going to take, you know, being a part of it. Also, not only being diligent, but also to be dedicated. You know, deacons are, it's a service role. It is, it's about serving people. And this is some of the things about a 10-second prayer. I talk about uh, this all the time. One of the things that you can do to really help energize the deacon ministry is start doing what we call the 10-second prayer. A 10-second prayer is when, when every Sunday when you come to church, you, you're greeting people and you're speaking to them and they're speaking to you how things going, good, this, that. Inevitably, you're going to have someone say to you, Things are going okay, but would you just remember me this week? I've got something on my heart, or I've got a physical test, or I've got this, I've got whatever it is. When they do that, when they give you that insight and ask you to pray, stop right then and give them 10. Mm -hmm. Give them 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And this, this is what happened to me. I was preaching in the church um, and I, I'd been doing some conflict mediation there. And they asked me to come in there and preach. I came in one Sunday morning. I was greeting the people before the service started. I didn't, I didn't know most of them. And I was shaking hands. And one lady came up to me and she said, How far did you have to drive today? I said, 77 miles from, from the church right here to my doorstep. And they said, Well, man, that was a long way. I said, Yeah, but it's not going to last much longer. I'm moving from the west side of town to the east side of town. Matter of fact, I'm going to be living about two miles from this church here in about, about three weeks. This lady said, well, you know, she said, that is wonderful. She said, I hope you have a better time selling your house than I had selling mine. And I said, well, ma'am, I said, my house is already sold. She said, how long was it on the market? I said, I never put it on the market. She said, how did it sell? I said, well, my next door neighbor, I bought it from him 15 years ago, and he said if I ever sold, sold, he wanted it back. And so I told him I was getting tired of Atlanta traffic, and so I made me, he said, well, Whenever you get ready to sell, you give me 30 days. He said, I'll buy it. Whatever the fair market value is, I'll give you for it. There's no haggling. And he said, we'll do a cash closing in 30 days. I said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so, man, I went on about my business. I went and found me a house there where I was going to move. I went and made an offer on it. I didn't ever talk. It was six, it's six, seven weeks since I talked to my neighbor. I went and found me a house, made an offer on it, and I called him up. And I said, hey, Brother Curtis. I said, uh, man, I found me a house. And I said, oh, we're probably going to close in about 45 days. He said, I said, you still want this house? He said, I sure do. He said, you give me 30 days? I said, yeah, I'll give you 30 days. And so I was telling the lady this story, and I said, that's how, that's how my house sold. She said, I've had a house in Blue Ridge, Georgia, been on this market for two years. I have not had one single call, not one. As soon as she said that, I fell under conviction because I sounded like I was bragging. Mm -hmm. I mean, it got bad. I said, oh, Lord. <laughs> man, I'm telling you what, I wanted to cry, you know. And so, man, all I knew to do, I said, ma'am, let me, let me. I just grabbed her. I said, can I pray with you? She said, yeah. I said, dear Lord, I don't know why this lady's home hadn't sold. But God, you know it where it is. 
and you know who needs it, and I'm going to ask you to give it to them. Work it out. Thank you, Jesus. And I said, Amen. So I said goodbye. You know, I went shaking hands. I went on up the front, man. So the next Sunday, I was preaching in Lafayette, Georgia. And then the next Sunday, I came back to the church to, to preach there again. I came back in. I'm greeting people. This lady comes. She's sitting on the back row. I didn't, I didn't know it. She popped up. She said, Brother Brian. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you remember me? I said, no, ma'am, I really don't. She said, well, I was the one that was... And talk to you about that house. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, guess what happened? I said, I don't know. She said, I got home from church that Sunday morning. There was two calls on my answering machine about this house. And she said, the first one didn't qualify the first time, but the second one did. And she said, I've got a contract on it. And she said, it looked like in 30 days it's going to close. I said, hallelujah. I said, let me give you 10 more. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. And man, we had that. You know what? I got about halfway up. The, I was greeting people, and a lady popped up. She said, Brother Alexander. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, man, I was just talking to Miss Mary Jo. said, Mary Jo said, that, man, you prayed for her two weeks ago. I said, man, her house sold. Said, Have you heard that? I said, well, you know, she just told me. She said, man, she grabbed hugged my neck like, she, like I was her own son. And I said, well, hey, man, thank you, Jesus. You know, and I went on by. I get, I'm greeting people. I get to the front, and the minister of music, he walks down off the steps. He, can, he said, Brother Brian, he said, man, I was in Sunday school class this morning. He said, Miss Mary Jo, she got up and gave a testimony. You ain't going to believe it. She said that, man, if anybody ever needs anything, pray for her. Call that Brian. That man, that man prayed the stars down. <laughs> you know what? Look what happened because of one ten-second prayer. You know what happened? I've been to that church four more times since that. Did you know what? I see every time I go when I walk in that building, I see somebody praying with somebody else doing 10-second prayers. And I'll tell you what, what it has done to unify that church when the church starts praying together. It's, it's quite an amazing thing. And then the $100 club. Now, the $100 club, I always hate, I hate to share this in some way because people get a, they kind of get a wrong idea about it. But... A lot of times in the churches where we serve, the deacons, uh, a lot of times, they're at the stage of life where uh, some of them are a little older. Uh, a lot of times they got more money than they ever had. It doesn't mean they got much, but I mean they, they, they generally have a little bit more than they had 20 years ago. And so, and I, I share with them what happened about me nearly 30-something years ago. I was in a conference, and I made up my mind. I told God, I said, God, I hadn't got it. But Lord, if you'll ever give me an extra $100, I don't have earmarked for something else. I'm going to put it in my pocket. And I'm going to give it to only people you give it, that you tell me to give it to. And so, almost 30 years ago, I finally got an extra hundred dollars I didn't have earmarked, and I put it in my pocket. And you know what? I put it in that pocket, and I, and I, I learned some lessons through the years about that hundred dollars. I can't give it to somebody I want to give it to. If I give it to somebody I want to give it to, I can kiss that and goodbye, okay? Bye. I'm going to have to replace that with one of my hundreds. And that's just the way it works. That's the way it worked for me. But I'll tell you what, when I'm walking down life's way and God just out of nowhere says, give it to them. Every time God's ever told me to give that away, He always sent it back and generally sent it back with friends. If you know what I'm talking about. He sent it back with friends. When I got to 250 times giving that $100 bill away, I quit counting. Every time I ever gave it away, God gave it back. You know, $100, you know, that used to be a lot of money. A lot of money. 
but now it, it's not quite as much money as it used to be. But I'll tell you what, it is still a lot of money to somebody who don't have it. Amen. I was in the Waffle House over in Leeds, Alabama. This African-American lady came out one day. She's going to be our waitress. I looked at her name and it said Nene. N-E-E-N-E-E. -E -E. She came out there and she said, I guess you men want some coffee. And I said, no, ma'am, I never learned to drink it. But my boss, he said, I'll take some, ma'am. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'd like a glass of sweet tea. She said, oh, sweet tea. Let me high-five you for Jesus on some sweet tea. Now, that's what she said to me. We high-five Jesus on some sweet tea. So I, 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 I'm good. But you know what? As soon as my hand hit her hand, God said, give it to her. Okay, then. Man, you know, I, I, I learned. I learned. It don't matter. It don't matter. I give it away to McDonald's uh, drive-through. I give it away just wherever God said give it. I give it. She comes back. So I took that hundred dollar bill and I turned that hundred dollar bill down. I didn't want to see the hundred dollar. I, I, you know, you just don't want to make any racket about it. You want to just. And I said, uh, she came back and I said, Miss Nene, I said, uh, you got a busy day today? She said, I sure do. She said, uh, today I'm getting off at noon. And for the first time in my life, I'm going to get to take my two little boys to Gulf Shores, Alabama for a vacation. Never been on a vacation in my life, but I'm taking my two boys. And I said, well, Nene, for some reason, God's laid it on my heart. I want to give you a little something extra happy with your trip. And so I just slid it in her hand. I was, you know, I thought, Lord, let's let her slide it in her pocket. But no, Nene didn't do that. And she, she pulled that up and flopped that $100 bill up. She looked at she looked at me. Then she opened it up to make sure it wasn't some uh, <laughs> gospel track. <laughs> you want to make sure it wasn't a gospel track? She opened it up and saw it wasn't. She folded it back up. She said, she started talking to herself, kind of made me nervous. She said, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said, I promised it. I promised it. Now, that's what she said. I promised it. So she just stepped out toward the whole restaurant. She threw it up both hands. She said, God, I told you this morning, if you'd give me an extra $100 to help me on this trip, I'd give you the glory and the praise no matter where it was. She said, so I'm fixing to just shout it out right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, man, I'm sitting there. Well, I had to get up with her. Yeah. You know. And so we're shouting it out. You know what? When I got ready to leave, she came over there and she hugged my neck. I hugged her. It was an instant bonding between she and I, two believers who both loved Jesus and looking for His will for their lives. One month later, I came through that little town again. I told my boss, I said, I'm going to have to stop and see if I can see Nene. We pulled in there. Nene wasn't a serving table. She not, she's cooked back there now. She done jumped about ten grand in pay a month. I mean a year. So she she and so the lady waited on. I said, "Is that Nene over there?" She said, "Yes, it is." And I said, uh, "Tell her I'd like to talk to her." And so she went over there. And she got a little break. She come walking across, and then she looked. She looked kind of funny. She was she only seen me one time in her life. She saw me, and then she come over there. And, I stood up. I said, Nene, she said, I remember you. Can you wait just a minute? She went back over behind the counter, got her pocketbook, pulls out her cell phone. She comes back over there. She said, I've been praying God would send you in here. Mm -hmm. I want to show you something. She went to her photos. <coughs> she said, let me show you something. 
showed me a picture for two little boys. They both had two ice cream cones and they had eaten them ice cream. <laughs> then they were sitting on a balcony of their little condo and they was eating Cracker Jacks. And then they was at a restaurant and they had two little old hats on at a seafood restaurant that they they had little little meals. She showed me those pictures. She said, I just wanted you to see what that hundred dollars did for my little boys. Mm -hmm. She said, I don't know you well. She said, but I want you to know I love the Spirit of God in you. Over a hundred dollars. hundred dollars ain't nothing. But it was something to her. Mm -hmm. We ate that morning. We got ready to walk out. I, she was busy. At the, and I was going to wave to say goodbye. But I said, it doesn't matter about me. When I got the door open, I heard her tell the cook standing beside her. She looked back over and she said, that's him. That's him. That's him. And when I stopped, I turned around and I said, no, they didn't. It's him. Mm -hmm. It's him. He's the one to do it. He's the one to make some difference. He's the one to do it. <coughs> and so it's just things like that that leaders in their churches and deacons can do to, to make a, you know, in hospital visitation and home visitation and lunches, you know, we have... You know, have luncheons for, you know, our deacons had, had luncheons for the, the, when they did the deacon family ministry plan. One time a year, they would, have, they would invite everybody of their, they, we divided the whole church up and gave all of the families, divided up among the deacons. And so once out of that year, the, the deacon would have a potluck supper or, or a luncheon or whatever, one Sunday morning after church. All of those families, they generally had 21 to 23 families each, our deacons did. And they would all come down and they'd have lunch together. And man, they would, it would be so exciting. And they, they started having uh, prayer times together. And they, they were taking prayer requests. Then they started helping each other throughout the week. And they started catching up and keeping up with one another. They really became a little church inside the church. And they began to minister to one another. And it really fostered unity in a wonderful way. And then deacons would also, I'd have them, man, adopt a Sunday school class. And adopt a Sunday school class so you can go in every Sunday. Go in. The deacons ought to go in and speak to them. Speak to the class. Greet them. Speak. Tell the teacher, man, I prayed for you this week, and I prayed for y'all, and, and just touch base with them. Every now and then, man, you might want to take the Sunday school class that you have adopted, man, have a little supper for them. Or, you know, if there's eight or ten in the Sunday school class, y'all meet and have them. You know, go to their Sunday school socials and that kind of thing. Do something to connect the deacon ministry with the people because that's what's going to cause the next generation to want to be deacons. If they don't see them doing anything, because you know what? The younger generation right now don't care anything about being deacons. They don't care anything about it. They don't see any real use for it. And if they don't see servant ministry taking place, they never will be interested in it. Then, hospital visits. Uh, I'm going to just blow through this. This is just something something extra. If you go to a hospital to visit somebody, always knock before entering the room. You don't, you don't knock. You ought to walk in on old glory. Who knows what. And then, when you do see something you don't need to see, don't be shocked at it. Don't say, whoo, glory, have mercy. You know, not, just, just let it go. Just let it go. And you know what? Through the years, especially when I was a young preacher, the oldest women in the church, they'd have hips hurt. Whoa, preacher, you ought to see this scar I got ready for. 
you know. But anyway, no telling what you lie to say when you go to a hospital. But don't, but don't be overly concerned. Sometimes total silence is very appropriate. Sometimes you don't have to be talking about everything. And then don't, do not be insulted by the patient's attitude towards. Sometimes they feel horrible. Sometimes you coming in is not a blessing to them. Sometimes you're the last person they want to see because they felt so bad. Doesn't have anything to do with you. They just in a bad way. If they're in a bad way, cut them loose. Just say, man, I just want to come by and just pray with you. Just have a prayer with them and strike a trot. I mean, be gone. Come back when things are better. But don't don't get insulted about saying, bless God, you treat me that way, you won't ever see me again. <laughs> you better hope you don't get to shave things in. <laughs> and then don't offer false optimism. Do not don't try to outdiagnose a doctor. <laughs> Come on, man. I, I I've I've been I've been going to hospitals. I'm 58 years old tomorrow. That's what my wife Amen. told me. 58 years old tomorrow. I've been going to the hospital since I was six years old with my daddy when he was a Baptist preacher. I've seen. I I can diagnose. I can diagnose when people tell me what's what their symptoms. I can nearly tell you what's matter with them. But it ain't my job. I have to keep my mouth shut. I just try to keep my mouth shut. Now sometimes I have gone out and asked the. I've asked the doctors out there in the hallway, said, now, Doc, I'm not a doctor. And they'll generally say, that's right, you're not. But I'll tell you what, I've seen some things. I wish I had time to tell you something I saw one time over, <coughs> you know, blood thinners. There's heparin. Y'all heard of heparin, many of you met. There's two types of sources where heparin is made from. One comes from and it's from a byproduct of animals that they use. And one comes from pork, and one comes from beef. You know what? If a person's allergic to pork, if they take heparin from that derivative, they have the worst infection you've ever seen in your life. I watched somebody for three weeks near, near death's door with them give them heparin every day. Nobody knew what caused it until somebody figured it out. I remember sitting in there, going in that room, and that guy sitting there, he is itching so bad, he'd say, Preacher, can you just pick out a spot and go scratch him? <laughs> man, I'm, I'm scratching. His wife's over there scratching him, the kid down there on his leg scratching The man's the most miserable man you've seen in your life. As soon as they changed that heparin, in 45 minutes, the itching was gone. Mm. You know, when you learn something like that, you don't forget that. Some doctors don't know that. Mm -hmm. Something. So, but it ain't your business and ain't mine. <laughs> all right. Then make your visit brief and always share comforting scripture. You know, one of the sweetest things that people always said about hospital visits when we'd go, Preacher, I'm always glad you had that little New Testament in your back pocket. You always want to read some scripture and have prayer with me. And that's one of the things that would be a blessing to, you, to the people you go serve is always give them a little scripture. You know, you can go to Psalm 46. For the worst day, that's what I've got in my Bible. For the worst day in my life, go to Psalm 46. So if I'm having a horrible day, I go to Psalm 46. You know what? And then when people are struggling, they don't know what to say. You know, take them a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And all thy ways acknowledge Him. Man, just give them something. You know, get them thinking in that vein. Man, it helps them. It, it strengthens them. And then pray for them. 
and do some of that fervent prayer when you're praying for them in the hospital. Uh, they don't need a little nursery rhyme, especially if they're, they're laying there with stage four colon cancer. Uh, they need you to get fervent, a red hot prayer. But then, uh, being devoted to the pastor. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are laborers together with God. And that's what deacon ministry is. They're co-laboring with the, with the pastor, working for the Lord Jesus. And I say, deacons, I always tell them, support the pastor. Support him with everything you've got. If you can't support him, <coughs> strike a trial. What if he's wrong? And he could be. He sure could. I've seen a lot of them that are wrong. They call me in and say, hey, brother. And the preacher said, man, they're wrong. And then you get to look and investigate, you find out, man, he, he can't believe he's doing this. He's crazy. But anyway, support him. 97% of pastors feel like they've been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by trusted friends. It's a national statistic, and it's true. 70% of pastors battle depression and 80% feel discouraged. Now folks, when you talk about a guy who's in pastoral care, I deal with it every day. Every day. And it's my job to help keep these guys in the game. Okay? If they, they, they're down and out, man, it's my, I've been there, I know what it feels like. They're in a deep, sometimes they're in a deep cypress swamp. They're so deep in they don't know their way out. I go in there and tell them, you don't know the way out. You're struggling, but I do. I know the way out. I've been where you're at, and I know how to get out. If you will let me help you, I'll help you get out of here. So they, they, their discouragement, 7,000 churches every year across America close their doors. 1,500 pastors quit every month across the United States. 1,500 every week. Every month. Sir? Every month. Every month. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they quit every month across the United States. You know, I can't tell you how many I'm dealing with right now that's on the verge of quitting. And they're, they're not quitting because they have no business in ministry. They're quitting because <coughs> the pressures are so great. They don't have about anybody that's really got their back. Then 10% will retire pastors. Only 10% of all those who are in the pastor will remain pastor 94% of pastors families feel pressure of the ministry they did I had two daughters and I tried to shield them but you know what that's one of the things that deacons do mm -hmm. they come in they come alongside the preacher man they need to they need to be that that Aaron and her man hold them up hold them up, hold them up get them up mm -hmm. give them some help let him know you're praying for him send him texts emails Man, let him know, hey, I've been praying for you today. Take him out to lunch. Shoot him a little something extra. Have him, let him take his wife out to, to supper. Do something to encourage him along the way. 78% of pastors will have no close friends and can be ridiculed if they do in the church. I had, I always had a lot of friends. They're pastors. They're most of them pastors. But you know what? I, I generally didn't have a lot of real close friends in the church. And really that was by design. Now every church, I always said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to risk having two friends in the church. Two friends. I'm going to be 
They're going to be murdered. But you know what? There was always a price to pay. Because if they see you and that family going out to supper, mm. they see you going on vacation, they see you doing stuff together, well, they're on that, you know, they in that little end crowd. If you're not in that family, you're not getting anything. Right. You know, I say sit on your thumb, bark at the moon. You know, bless God, everybody got to have a, has got to have a, got to have a friend somewhere. And I'll tell you something sadder than that. The pastor's wife has less friends than the pastor. How do you deal with that? Huh? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of... What what I did, I always believe, inform the people and then trust the people. So what I did, I told them, I said, I'm going to be friends and I'm going to be your pastor. I'm going to pastor everybody in this church. But I cannot be close friends with every one of you. I love you like a close friend. But I don't, I don't have the time. If, if I do what you want me to do, I don't have the time to nurture all of these relationships. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to need a buddy. And I said, matter of fact, there's a guy who's been my buddy since I came here. His name's Lon Bell. You know, I want you to know he, 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 he's my buddy. Me and him's close friends. And I'm going to ask you, Y'all just respect that. Don't be jealous of that. It doesn't mean anything other than the preacher just needs a good friend. You know what? I shared with them. And you know what they did? They, most of them didn't take that as being jealous or saying, I want to be that one. Because, you know, to be honest with you, you ain't going to like everybody in the church. I mean, really, just be honest. You gonna love everybody, but I, I, might, I might love you, honey, but I don't like you that much. <laughs> you, you too mean. You talk too ugly to your husband. Uh, you know, or hey, buddy, man, you little, you a little too rough on your wife. Now, I don't appreciate that. I can be your, I can be your friend, but I can't be your buddy. So, so it, it's that way. But the pastor, he needs to keep. He needs to keep that relationship with the church as a whole and, and, and do that as well as he can. And it's if he informs the church. And then the thing about the pastor's wife. I, when I go in and train uh, pastor search committees, when they're looking for a new pastor, I tell those committees, you know what? What you need to do for this, for this first year and even into the second year, make sure this pastor's wife feels connected. Minister to her, befriend her, and you know what? If you march along and you trying to befriend her, and you know what, y'all's personalities really just don't really jihaw. Uh, you know somebody whose personality probably will jihaw with it. So see if you can set them up as friends. Work, try to work the system so that at least the passion is wine. And and another thing uh, is deacons to make sure. I didn't ever care anything about. Uh, Pastor Appreciation Day, or I didn't want to celebrate my birthday. I didn't want to celebrate anniversaries at the church. I didn't. I got ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. I it just wasn't a big deal to me. I, we didn't. My family grew up. Special days wasn't <coughs> like I, I said. My mama will not even call me tomorrow on my birthday. Mm-hmm. On her birthday, on December twenty ninth, I probably won't even remember it. It's her birthday. We didn't make a big deal out of it. It don't change the fact. But I'll tell you something. When it comes to when it comes to the people in the church, 
not everybody feels about special days like I do. As a matter of fact, most people like special days. Nothing wrong with that. So as deacons and leaders, make sure that special days if, if, if you, I always I say, if you try to call a pastor and he says, we're not going to observe Pastor Appreciation Day, I say, we don't need you then. Cut him up. Yes, sir. One of the things you can do is you ask, you made, somebody back here made a great statement regarding the pastor and the pastor having someone as a close friend. All right? If it's not you, encourage that person who is the pastor's friend. The other thing that will happen. Whoever is the individual that might get jealous, that's the person you can minister to. And when the, when they talk about the pastor having a close friend, that's the one you can say, well, if everybody needs a close friend, why don't you become my close friend? Yeah, that's right. All right? I mean, but, but you've got to protect your pastor. Mm -hmm. Because just like he said, pastor's human. All of us are going to have moments of discouragement, disillusion. And most pastors are quitting because they don't feel as though they're getting the support. Mm, that's right. Well, it was really, I you know, hadn't really thought about it that way. I joined this church about four years ago and became fast friends with the pastor and his family. Mm -hmm. And didn't think nothing of it. It just felt yeah. Like, yeah. It, like we've known each other. Normal. Now that I think about what you're saying, I need to make sure I have relationships with other people so yes. that they see. It's not just yeah. that, like you're saying. Yeah. And I can see where there's been little comments over the years, but mm. nothing too big. Yeah. But I need to make sure it doesn't develop into anything mm. by reaching out to those people. And that's, I appreciate it. Because you know what? It doesn't take the devil much. Oh, I mean, just something silly. Target rich environment. Yeah, that's right. So they, so got, so make sure. Try to do what you can to help a pastor. Let me say to the those of you leaders, if your pastor doesn't take vacations, make it. You better make it. Right. Force him to, because he can't. He he's not going to be able to keep it up. He can't keep it up. And I'll tell you something else. A vacation, really, for for a pastor to really understand and feel the effects of a vacation, he's got to have two Sundays off in a row when he's not preaching. Yeah. Because if he's only off one, he's got to be thinking about it on the front end or on the rear end. He's always that sermon preparation is always on him. So make sure that they have two weeks. Yeah, then you got to stand in the gap and make sure that the, the body don't get mad at him for taking. Yeah, Amen. man, don't talk. Listen. I, I, I preach a sermon entitled, You Have What You Tolerate. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, and there's some things, you know, that the leadership of the church, the deacons, the leaders, they ought not tolerate letting people run down the preacher over the take. Because I know it, it makes the preacher feel good. Because it made, people used to tell me, Preacher, I can't stand it when you're gone. And I said, <laughs> I know it affects me the same way. It tears me up when you're not here. <laughs> it really it tears it tears me up. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I miss you a whole lot more than you miss me. <laughs> but but make sure, make sure, and then if you can, if if you have a, a certain event in your in the year when you know.
when it's around summertime or vacation time where you know your church does something, you have a special gift, a homecoming, you have something like that. If the pastor can put his vacation on the front end or the back end of that, where he can actually have three Sundays yes. where he's not free. It doesn't mean that he's not, not serving and he's not on the field, mm -hmm. but make sure that he can have some extra time off. And y'all think about that when he won't because he's afraid somebody's going to get mad. Yeah. So anyway, then here's a pastor's in trouble list. Mm. Now if you see this, if you're in leadership, uh, if you see a pastor when he seems to dread every phone call and he mm. seems paranoid, he's in trouble. Okay? He's emotionally in trouble. If he doesn't take vacations because he's afraid, listen, something's wrong there. He, he, he's in trouble. If he seems to take everything personal, that's a warning sign. Now, he might have that disposition, but if he didn't used to be that way and now that he is, something's wrong. I'm going to give you this list so y'all don't have to write it out. Oh, okay. Then, <laughs> you know what? Now, listen, this list, I didn't read this out of a book. I wrote this down out of my head because this is where this boy was when I was in trouble. When I was in trouble, this is how I was thinking. When I'd walk into a room, and there'd be hundreds of people in a maybe a luncheon or a, I'd walk in, there'd be a hundred people, I'd look over that room, and I'd divide that room up between those who were my friends and my enemies. And you know what? Really, the people in there weren't my enemies. Really. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd worked so hard day and night. We built buildings. We'd been, I mean, I didn't take vacations. I mean, I was as hard at it as I could go. And I just got, I got so burned out, then I got paranoid. I think, man, you know, somebody said, Preacher, man, I, I'm just, man, your sermon Sunday, man, I, I'm, I'm struggling with some of the things you said. God, what's the matter? You know, you, he took it personal. He's trying to say, and he's he really got a, a genuine concern. But it's in trouble. And then when he seems nervous, even when his friends approach him, mm. you know, he's standing there, and here comes his best friend in the church, my buddy Lon Bell. He said, Brother Brown, I, I need to talk to you. Oh, man, that what? He just said, hey, man, I got $100 I want to give you. I thought, oh, man, why did I get so tore up over that? It's just that first inclination. These are keys, things you need to watch for. Because, listen, you, you, you co-labor. You co-labor with a pastor to kind of help watch for his watch care. And then when he gets less interested in doing fun things, when some of the people at the church said, man, come on, preacher, man, you used to play church softball with us. Ah, I'm not really interested anymore. <laughs> Our preacher used to go with us to go over to eat ice cream on Sunday night. Well, he's no longer interested in doing things that were fun where there's no pressure. He's in trouble. Something, something's amiss. He said, well, preacher, I don't know what to do. Call me. Call me. I, I do know what to do. If I can get with him, try to encourage him. Try to get him something. And then, when his wife seems less interested. Because what happens when a preacher... He's in trouble. His wife will stop wanting to go to church. And it's not so much she wants to stop going to church altogether, she just don't want to go to that church because that it seems to be the source of the pastor's problem. Those are just warning signs. I'll give those to you. Let me move on. If you got a problem with a pastor, go tell him. Not on Sunday. <laughs> Don't tell him. Go tell him. Don't tell everybody else. Don't tell anybody else. Till after you told him. 
Nine times out of ten, when you go sit down with a pastor and talk to him about an issue, there'll be so there'll be some part of that circumstance that you don't have all the facts or he don't have all the facts, and when you get together, you can put it to rest. Matthew 18 works. It works. When you do it God's way, it works. Practice that. We have people all the time say, well, we ought to practice Matthew 18. I thought, yeah, bless God, I wish you'd go read it. You don't even know what it ain't like. We down here in conflict mediation about ready to pull guns on one another, and you talk about Matthew 18. They wouldn't know Matthew 18 if they saw it in the broom closet. But it works. You know, I'll share this. I'm, I'm almost done. One of the greatest nights was when two of my deacons, one young, one old, came in and said, Pastor, we need to talk to you. I, they came in my office, sat down, they said, Preacher, you've started a firestorm in this church. I said, really? Over what? They said, the way you handle a staff member. I said, you're kidding me. They said, no. I said, is it the same old people that's always grabbing about everything? They said, no, there's, there's some other people who are really upset about this. And I told those guys, I said, well, thank y'all for telling me. And I said, I'll handle it on Sunday. Well, I got up going to usher them out. I mean, two of my good friends. And they said, Brother Brown, what, what, what are you going to do about it? I said, I don't know. I'll handle it Sunday. I'm going to pray about it. And I said, but I'm going to handle it Sunday morning. Well, they didn't know. They just a little nervous, you know. Brother Brown, I would get on the edge, you know. He lied. He, no telling where he liable to go with this. Sunday morning. Man, we had our service. I got through preaching. After the altar cleared and uh, we got ready to dismiss, I said, what we're going to do today, we're going to have a little family business. I'm going to ask all of our guests. Uh, today we're going to give you an opportunity to dismiss. I'm going to have all of our deacons. I asked all of our deacons to go to the back. So they went to the, the back. I said, I want you to greet everybody as they leave. You give our first-time guests, uh, you give them, a, you give them a, a gift and speak to them, let them know how thrilled we were that they were here today. And I said, deacons, as soon as, you, as all of our guests have exited, I'm going to ask you to come back in. They did that. They came back in. Of course, they're all thinking, uh-oh, preacher's going to resign today. Preacher's going to resign. 22 years, he's getting ready to go. And I said, I understand I caused a firestorm over how I handled this staff member issue. I said, the reason I did what I did was because of the fact that I've been here for 22 years, and I said, I, I just know how the church is. I know how you vote. I know how you think. And I said, this... I just didn't see that was that big a deal. I said, but I don't have to have my way, and I want to ask everybody in here to forgive me, and I'm sorry. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to take this situation up and our next coming business meeting. We're going to bring it to the floor. We're going to discuss it, and uh, we'll let you vote on it, how, whatever you want to do. We'll do it. It doesn't matter. But I said, and today my public apology is not enough for you. When you come out the back, just say, Pastor Brown, could you come by and see me or contact me this week? And I said, I'll come by and give you a personal apology and share with you some of the things that were involved in this decision that maybe you didn't know about it. But I don't want anybody, I, it was never my intention to cause disunity in this church. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry some of you got upset. And I beg you to forgive me. I had a closing prayer, dismissed them. I had people coming out the back, men coming out the back. Brother Brian, bless God, who is it mad? You tell me who they are. I'll go see them. <laughs> Get out of here. I said, if you're not mad, don't worry about it. Get out of here. I didn't have one single person come by and say, I'm upset. That following Wednesday night, we had a conference. 
we went through the conference. We, I said, this time we're going to bring up the subject regarding this staff member, and I'm going to ask you. Uh, this is how we have one guy who uh, made a, <coughs> a statement that was really uh, positive to the decision that I made, and then we had some that had a question, and we just let them one pro and one con, just like Robert's rules of order, and they they just had a chance to discuss that. After all the discussion was over, it didn't last 15 minutes. There was a recommendation made, and the recommendation was that the church continue on with the decision that the pastor had made without one single change. They all voted on that 100%, not one single dissenting vote. It was over with. Nobody ever brought it up again. Why did I tell you a story like that? Because those two men came to my office and told me. Mm -hmm. If they hadn't come told me, that stuff would have kept festering and people would have gotten angry. And before long, when I finally find out about it, it's blown up and there's nothing I can do about it. Half the people were gone. But, but we killed it. I mean, it was over with. We stayed in the state of revival. If you got a problem with the preacher, go tell him. What if he don't? What if he, what if he just flies off the handle? Matthew 18, go with it. And then be a demonstrator, mentorship. Every deacon body should be mentoring young men. They ought to be mentoring them. But as I mentioned earlier, they're not gonna they're not gonna want to be leaders, deacons, they're not gonna want to be part of that if they don't see its value. It's gotta be valuable. And I share this last story and then I'll be I'll be through it all. Hand you the stuff on the way out. When I was a young boy, teenage boy, 13 years old, there was a deacon in our Baptist church, Brother's Baptist church. His name was Ralph James. Ralph James came by the parsonage one day and asked me would I be willing uh, to go to work with him during the summer. As a, he owned a construction company. I said, yeah, that'd be fine. So, so I started working with him. So I worked all through my high school years. And I worked with him during the summers and then even... Uh, some during when I was in school, when I got ready to graduate from high school, I was uh, came to church one Wednesday night. When I walked out, I was going to be graduating on Friday night from high school. On Wednesday night, uh, he came out of the back of the church. I was walking toward my truck, and he had this voice. He had a he had one of the deepest, richest voice. You almost uh, it was just amazing to hear his voice. He's one of these radio type of. When I was walking across my truck, he said, "Brian." I thought it was God. I <laughs> and I said, yes, Brother Ralph. He said, can I talk to you? And I went back to him. He said, um, he said, Brian, he said, I know you're getting ready to go on your senior trip. And I, he said, I want to I want to tell you, man, I'm proud of you. And I want to give you something before you went. He reached in his pocket and he pulls out a yellow manila envelope. And that manila envelope, he paid us in cash money every week. Mm -hmm. He took out taxes. He took care. He had it written down on everywhere all our money went. But he handed us a little envelope. It was our pay. So he handed that to me, and he said, open it. Well, I opened it, and it was a full week's pay. And I'd only work Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I wasn't going to work Thursday and Friday. And, but it had a full week's pay. And I said, well, Brother Ralph, there's a full week's pay in there. He said, yeah, I wanted you to have that. And I said, well, thank you, Brother Ralph. And so I stuck it in my pocket. He said, uh, Brian, I want to tell you something. I said, well, what is it? He said, uh, he said, man, your mom and dad have been at this church for a long time now. And said, we love them and we love y'all, and we're thankful y'all are in this church. He said, you're getting ready to go to Florida. He said, I'm going to ask you to do something. I said, what's that, Brother Ralph? He said, don't do anything 
that would risk mm. your daddy's job here as a pastor. I thought, good night. You're pouring cold water on my trip. I'm telling you. You know what I did, man? 17 years, I took out and shook my hand. That's good advice. Thank you, Brother Ralph. I just placated him. I, I, I didn't care what he... Basically, I was going to do what I want to do when I got called. I didn't care what he said. Now, that's just how I felt. I'm just being honest with you. And so I shook his hand. Thank you. That's good advice. I got ready to walk away. And he didn't let go of my hand. And he said, uh, Brother Brian, he said, I, I got something else for you. So he reaches his pocket, he pulls out another yellow manila envelope. Now this time, this thing is so fat, it's so thick, I'm thinking, man, there's nothing but one dollar bills in there. There ain't no big money in there to be that thick. He said, I want you to open it up. Well, I opened it up. That thing was so full of $100 bills. I've never seen that much cash money in my life. And he put on there, graduation present. And I saw that amount of money. He said, Brian, I got something else I need to tell you. Well, I put that in my pocket. I said, pull up a chair, big man. Let's, let's go. You give me that kind of money, I'll hang with you all day. Now, I ain't going anywhere. He said, Brian, he said, all these years you've been working with me. He said, you know, I don't have any children. Me and my wife never could have kids. And said, um, all those times when you rode back and forth with me to the job, and I'll talk to you about subcontracting and architecture and about finances and about all of these things, he said, I didn't have anybody to leave all that to and talk about that, anybody but you. And he said, Brian, he said, if I had a son, I'd want one just like you. Mm-hmm. And he said, I hope I'm going to get to leave my business to you one day. Then he reached and grabbed me and pulled me up close. He said, I love you, boy. I could feel his chest shaking when he was hugging me. Then he backed back up. With tears in his eyes, this very distinguished gentleman. He said, Brian, I got something else I want to say. I said, go ahead, Brother Ralph. He said, you getting ready to go to Florida. I said, oh, come on, man. Get off, get off that Florida trail, man. Get off that. This is what he said. He looked at me and he said, Brian, when you get to Florida, I'm going to beg you. Don't do anything. It will break this old man's heart. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what he's talking about my mom and daddy, I didn't all that concerned about it. <laughs> well, man, he just put thousands of dollars in my pocket and just told me he said, Don't do anything to break his heart. I remember walking and getting in my truck when I drove by and I saw him getting in his. I remember for the first in my life, first time in my life, this is what crossed my mind. That's the kind of deacon I want to be. All these years he had invested in me. He had mentored me. He had done things for me. Even my daddy couldn't do. I said, that's the kind of man I want to be. You know what? In your churches, and I tell deacons, divide the, the congregation of, of the young folks and, and let the older folks mentor them and teach them and share with them the, the, the reasons why we do what we do as leaders in the church. If they understand the reasons why, they'll want to get on board down the road in the, in the, in the future. Share that with them. Mentor them. And then, deacon is a servant in a spiritual role. And you must spend time in the Word of God if you're going to help people spiritually. You know, that is certainly the truth. What time are we supposed to stop? 4.15? 4.30? Woo, glory. I've got about 15 minutes worth left, and that's it. Now, what I want to share with you right now, I've never shared this with anybody before. 
and uh, I'm somewhat hesitant about it. But one of the things that I've found in the course of the deacon ministry that I've traveled across this state, I have found where there are deacons who have absolutely no business being deacons. And I'm not judging them. I, I'm just... As a matter of fact, I've heard them say it come out of their own mouth. <coughs> you know what? They put me in this position because they couldn't get anybody else to serve. That is not the reason to make somebody a deacon. Mm -hmm. It's better not to have have one than have the wrong one. So what I'm going to share with you now, like I said, pardon me, but this will be a dignified resignation. Deacons and deacon ministries ought to evaluate themselves every year. Every year. Before they start a new church year, in their deacons meeting, however that may be, they need to evaluate what the ministry did through the deacon ministry that year. They need to evaluate that. What took place. And then, and I'm not telling you to do this now. I'm just, I'm just this is something for you to think about. Like I said, I'm going to give it to you. That a church in southwest Georgia did this not too long ago. They were squabbling. They were fussing among the deacon body. There was all kind of trouble in the church regarding this situation. And the guy who was leading them came to a deacon's meeting, and he brought this questionnaire with him, and this is what it said. The first one said, I was ordained as a deacon and should not have been, therefore I resigned. <clears throat> The second one is, I was elected as a deacon, and because of time restraints, I am no longer able to fulfill my duties. Therefore, I resign. I was ordained as a deacon and cannot continue due to health and family situations. Therefore, I resign. I was ordained as a deacon, but no longer wish to serve. Therefore, I resign. For you see, the reason I bring these up is because there are people sitting on deacon bodies who know they have no business because they're not serving. They're just in a position. They're not serving, but they really don't have a way out. If there's some, there may be some who need a dignified way to get out of a job that they're not doing because you want you want that body to be. You want people. To, and you say, well, preacher, we don't have we don't have that many in our church that's even qualified to serve. I know that. I know that it's all over it's everywhere. But you know, that's not how deacon ministry works. Deacon ministry works just the opposite. Every time a man knows a person serving in that leadership position, they know they're not serving and they're not fulfilling their duties. And when they bring it up, if they feel like they need to resign, the first thing that happens is everybody says, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. We, we need you. You know what? We don't have anybody else to take your place. And they put so much pressure on them, they just stay in a position where they're not serving. And it brings more detriment to the work of the ministry than it does a benefit. The last one, I was ordained as a deacon, and I'm committed myself to hang in there and keep after it. I'm still committed. I'm as committed as I ever was, and I'm going to stay with the stuff. And that's what you want. You want 
You want leadership. Men and women who says, I am in and I am all in. I'm not backing down. This calling God has placed on my life. You know, I had a preacher tell me the other day, he said, he said, Brother Brian, I'm just thinking about quitting. I said, if you can quit, quit. If you can, if you can, if you can quit, get on, get on out. <laughs> and he said, well, I think I'm going to quit. I said, well, let me ask you, what's going to happen two months from you, two months from now, when you don't have a place to preach? How are you going to feel on Sunday morning when you don't have a place to preach? He said, I hadn't thought that far out. I said, Brother, if you've got a calling on your life, you can't fulfill that calling of kid. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to stand it. Being outside of God's will is no place where you want to be. And that's what it is about the deacon. Being a dynamic deacon. That's just giving in there and taking subtle things and creative things and do it in the church. Start new programs. Start different things to help motivate and encourage people to serve others. And seeing how you can minister to that community that that church is in. Anybody have any questions for me? Yes, sir. What's your position on the females being ordained in the church? Well, I'm from the old school where we, I, I never saw or I, never, I didn't ordain any, uh, any deaconesses. Uh, I understand what the scripture actually says and how that can be, how that can be viewed both, both ways. Um, I, don't, I really don't take, a, I don't take a strong stance because it's hard for me to uh, to cross that barrier because I'm I'm just I'm just old school, but each church it's up to the autonomy of that church to decide what the scripture says for them. They you know that church they have to make up their own mind how God how God speak to them. The reason and let me just share with you, the reason I I didn't is because. There wasn't any precedent in the scripture in the, in the very beginning where they laid hands on them in the, in the beginning. I'm not saying that they didn't down the road. It wasn't in a formal way. And so, um, and the churches that I served, they they were just they were old school that way. We, it, it never came up in the churches that I served. So it's up to each local church to decide uh, about that. And I always. Um, I'm like what Adrian Rogers said many years ago. He said, we better be real careful about speaking on issues that God didn't speak on. So, I'll leave it. Yeah, and I asked that question because yeah. your, your presentation is kind of slanted towards Yeah, it, it, it is, and it is, and that's, and I, <laughs> I and I apologize, I apologize for that, but that just, and I don't, you know, I know there's ladies sitting in here, and I'm happy they all, you know, it. But that's you know that's up to the that's up to the to each each church. Sometimes I think you reach a point. You you have ladies and men. Men have been serving for so long they quote burned out. Yes. If you look around our church particularly, um, you see that probably most of the work's being done by ladies. We've just recently. Ordained, we're ordaining another one uh, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we have, I think there are three, maybe four now that have been ordained. But a lot of this because men got to where they, I ain't got time. Yeah. I'm too busy. I'd rather go fishing. Or I've been here so long, and they the, don't want me anymore. And the, and the thing and is, so we have. Church has to decide. You're right. The churches where I, 
where I served, there were ladies who excelled in servant ministry. They excelled in it. Uh, the the title to them they 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 weren't interested in that title and it was uh, but it's as far as I'm concerned that's that's up to the local church that's up to the pastor and uh, I'm not yes ma'am anyway I would say I have been in church for a long time and um, years ago they asked me if I would like to be a deacon and I belong to the old school I didn't think that women should be in that position. I mean, but I didn't tell them. Now, I already retired, so last year, they asked me again uh, if I would like to serve as a deacon. And my mom was the first deacon at Clarkston together with another lady. And they were telling me that your mom was ordained as a deacon. And so anyway, I prayed and really prayed, and I, and I said, Lord, if you want me, since uh, in this ministry, since I'm resigned from my job, I mean, I've retired, and I have more time now. And so I just felt that God opened the door for me because I was praying where he will send me. And now I couldn't be really full-time uh, Sunday school teacher because my mom is at home, and she's like, she will be 97 in November, mm -hmm. and she needs care. So anyway, I really battled with that. And when they were asking me, when the deacons were asking me questions, I said, I really, you know, want to serve. You don't have to make me a deacon, you know. I can serve. Don't, don't give me that uh, title. But they said, no, we want you to be, uh, serve as a deacon. So, because our church, you know, wanted, um, has that position. So there are two deacon, deacons in our church, in our, in our deaconship. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, but of course, uh, we have more time, and since I'm retired, I have more time than the other deacons are working, so. Well, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done, and if I mean, if we get busy, yes. we do it, encourage, encourage others, and then that there's others who want to, because I, I end with this, who's going to take your place? Who's going to take your place when you're gone from where you're serving? And let me tell you something. It's really not the responsibility of the church that's coming behind you to fill your spot. You need to be filling that spot now. You need to be the one, like Ralph James was in my life, where I said, that's the kind of man I want to be. I had a lady, her name was Miss, uh, her name was Miss Dotson, Lucille Carter. One day she was sitting, I was sitting on the back row when I was a teenage boy. And I leaned forward, and I had a marble in my front pocket. I didn't think anything about it. I leaned forward trying to take a nap. I was trying to hide. My daddy was up there preaching. And I leaned forward, and that marble rolled out of my pocket. And it had one of these slant wooded, wooden floors, and it boom, 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 down, and it hit the carpet, rolled up on the carpet. My daddy just preached. Well, everybody heard it. I mean... And so I'm sitting on the back row. I'm just, I'm as stoic like I didn't have anything to do with it. And boy, my daddy, he looked back at me. Now, my buddy sitting next to him, he dying laughing. He dying like, well, daddy knew. He knew it was me. My daddy didn't play with you. He'd hurt you. I mean, you, you mess up church, he's going to beat the Lord out of you. Well, when I got ready to go out, 
when I, I was going to try to go out the back of the church, and Daddy looked over and said, come So I got in the line, everybody shaking hands. When I got right there, there Miss Lucille Carter, she's right there in front of me. She said, Pastor, I want to apologize. A piece on my necklace came off, and it rolled in, and it made all that ragged. I'm so sorry. I interrupted the service. He said, I thought that was one of them boys. Bless your heart, Miss Lucille, sitting right up. And I walked Daddy grabbed me by he grabbed me by the head and said, Boy, I thought you'd better get yourself in trouble. I said, Not me, Daddy. <laughs> and Miss Lucille Carter lied to me. She lied to me. She's wrong now. Mercy. But I'm gonna tell you what, she got a warm spot in my heart. She saved me from a beggar. You know what? There's all kinds of things we can do as leaders in the church to connect and touch people's lives that they'll remember long when you and I are mm-hmm. Let's pray together. O Holy Master and Glory, hallowed be thy name. God, it is with such a thrill that we can come into your throne room and thank you for the opportunity of the calling that you have placed on our lives. Lord, I thank you for these who are serving you in this deacon capacity. And I pray that you just put your anointing hand on them and Lord, they would be all things to all people that they may reach some. God, I pray you'd bless their churches. Lord, give them discernment and wisdom beyond their years. Lord, to help their pastors and to help their churches. And God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do because we've asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.